Hi, good morning, and Merry Christmas. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There's something about faith in Jesus Christ that enables us, allows us to see more deeply, um, not just the surface, but within things. Even the notion that this is the day the Lord has made, that we should rejoice and be glad in it, is, a, is an entirely different way of looking at the ordinary and the everyday. And this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 1 and this episode, this defining episode in the life of Joseph, we see things in a different light. And so if you will, if you haven't yet turned in your Bibles to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 1, Please do, and let's read together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, beginning at verse 18. As we read uh, about an episode, a very important one, in the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. There are some wonder-filled words that we associate with Christmas, that belong to Christmas, that shape the way we see Christmas. I love uh, the announcement of the angel in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And of course, Mary's response to this heavenly messenger, behold the handmaid of the Lord. 
be it unto me according to your word. Or the words of Zechariah, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Or the words of the wise men, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star and have come to worship him. Or that of the angelic host. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Or those of the shepherds. Let us go to Bethlehem and see what has taken place, what the Lord has made known to us. Or the words of Simeon, laying his eyes upon the child Jesus, my eyes have seen your salvation, O Lord, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. And of Joseph, I'm sorry, Joseph never says a word. Joseph is silent. No notable lines, no sound bites, no quotable quotes, no words. I know we can imagine Joseph talking. I mean, I can, I can imagine him speaking to Mary. I can imagine him speaking to Gabriel. I can imagine Joseph having a conversation with the innkeeper. But from Joseph, we never hear one word. Nada. Nothing. Never a word. That doesn't mean Joseph doesn't speak. As Ralph Waldo Emerson put it, what you do speaks so loud that I cannot hear what you say. Actions speak louder than words. Others have said the same. Others have put what we know into words. Andre Malraux, a man is the sum of his actions, of what he has done, of what he can do, nothing else. And it reminds me, in fact, that within a story, a character 
is what she or he does. We know that character by what she or he does. John Locke, the actions of men are the best interpreters of their thoughts. Demosthenes, whatever a man's actions are, such must be his spirit. Now just reflect for a moment. Your actions are so loud, I can't even hear what you're saying. Actions eclipse words. That you, that I, we are the sum of our actions. What we've done, what we can do. That's what sums us up. Actions are the best interpreters of thought. That's very insightful. You can say one thing, but I'll understand it by what you do. I'll know it by what you do. Actions reveal the spirit of a person. It's said, and I think rightly so, that we judge others by their actions. And in light of what others have just told us, that would be absolutely the case, wouldn't it? We judge others by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. And if we peer at Joseph's actions, because that's all we get, <laughs> we see only what was decided and expected. Here's what I want you to understand and see here. At the opening, this is what we read. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, well, that betrothal, is what had been decided. And within the village, it wasn't that large a village. Everybody knew everybody. That's what was decided, and that's what was expected. Joseph and Mary were betrothed. They were already husband and wife. And that seems foreign to our ears because it's not until the ceremony and not, it's not until the I do's. It's not until I present to you Mr. and Mrs. But in that day, a betrothal lasted about a year. It was a done deal. The ceremony followed, but they were already called husband and wife. 
That's what was decided, and that's what was expected. But now, I want you to look at the end of this episode. Look at verse 24. He took his wife, which means the marriage was finalized. They became, in the eyes of everybody, husband and wife. That's just what everybody expected, and that's just what happened. And that's what Joseph did. He entered in to an engagement, a, an engagement of great finality. And he proved faithful to that pledge. And he took Mary as his wife. That's what was expected, and that's what he did. No surprise. Just what we expected. But then, if we peer at everything in between, we realize there's a whole lot more going on. That what happened didn't happen easily. What happened almost didn't happen. That what seemed to be, uh, you know, the routine finish of a very good and beautiful thing that everybody was happy about and expected to take place, a thing ordained that, you know, should have happened anyway, almost didn't happen at all. And that's where we see Joseph's intentions. We judge by his actions. We we judge others by actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. Here we're given insight into the intentions that we don't normally see. And as I said, it's what everybody expected but it's what took place in between. It's there, in between, that we see decisions, dreams, and discoveries. We see the actions of Joseph are predicated on things that the actions themselves never betray. And we see in between Joseph's secret sacrifice. What took place in between is what to me is most important because that's where I live. And that's where you live too. That's where this Christmas story becomes not just about a Savior. This Christmas story envelops us as well. In fact, the Christmas story is all about the incarnation, the complete and full identification with God, of God with you and me, in a way that should just profoundly rock our sense of existence, being, and destiny. And even here we see it. 
because it's in those in-between times that I live and that you live too. What took place in between? As the psalmist declared in Psalm 44, 21, God knows the secrets of the heart. He knows what others can never know, what actions can never reveal. And that's what I want us to appreciate this morning because here we see in the in-between, in the intentions, in a way that we don't just see in the actions, we see a secret sacrifice. And that sacrifice is the sweetest gift known to God. And when I say known, I capitalize it because some things in our lives, in the in-between things, if you will, in the decisions that we make, in the dreams that we dream, in the discoveries that are so important to our lives and growth, that's where God knows who we really are. That's where God knows us in a way that no one else knows us. And God sees the intentions of our lives that should become decisions and actions and what others see of us and by what others judge us. You know, sacrifice by definition, I think, calls us to surrender something of ourselves. And I see surrender in Joseph. And uh, that's what we see here as well. Matthew expects us to see it. Look again at verse 18. Before they came together, she, that is Mary, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, a righteous man, a Sadiq, and unwilling to put her shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This is an amazing thing, this uh, decision, because God alone knows the decisions that were affected. And we're given some insight in this in-between time, if you will, in this in-between experience of Joseph. Joseph had a huge decision to make. And the decision that he arrived at was to divorce Mary quietly. There's so much here. And there's so much we wish we knew. And I guess we import our own things, thinking, maybe our own experience if, we, if we've been married or if we are married. And we remember that, you know, that courtship and that anticipation and, and that wonderful ceremony. And, and I mean, that was a huge right turn in our lives. We're never the same as a result. I can't think of a more important decision in life. And by the way, if you're not married, it is such an important decision. Do not make it lightly. I don't think Joseph did. 
It was probably arranged as marriages were. Mary was, if you can believe it, I mean, she could be as young as 12 or 13. Marriageable age. And Joseph is probably older. How much we, we do not know. And this marriage was arranged. It was, I, that doesn't mean that there weren't any feelings, but it's quite possible. I mean, Joseph is pledging himself to this girl and she to him. And they may not know each other as we expect to know one another as we approach marriage and make such commitments. But Joseph's entire life is pledged to her. He's a righteous man, a just man, which means that he is scrupulous. I can't underscore that enough. Scrupulous in his devotion, in the meticulous observation and observance of God's will in his life and the directions that God has given for living in his word. If you think of the Amish, or if you think of, a, of an Orthodox Jew, you, you might have a faraway idea of what it's like. But all foods, utensils, practices throughout the day, I mean, we, we might think it a huge sacrifice if we set aside the Sabbath and it made it exclusive under the Lord. I remember as a child, my mother, we were on our way to church, driving by car lots, and there was a sign, open after church. What? She said, what's the world coming to? It was not odd for mom to go out of her way on a Saturday to buy groceries or pump gas because everything was closed on Sunday. You know, life would be easier if piety, if the things that we would like to do were all orchestrated by the crowd, you know, and we were just going along with it. But now, if, if we're to really follow Jesus Christ, it's a beautiful time because there is no crowd. We observe it out of the heart. That was the kind of man Joseph was. And that's not to say that others in the village, but he was a Sadiq, a righteous man. And I mention that because Mary was an adulteress. Sure, she told him about uh, this visit, this dream, this crazy thing about an angel and uh, a birth. And... But to Joseph, she was an adulterer. To everybody else, she was an adulterer. She was having a baby, and Joseph didn't know who the father was. 
his future crashed and burned with her announcement to him. Family relationships, alliances, everything. I mean, it was like the future was just plotted out. He could have done the easy thing. He had the law on his side. He could have exposed her. And by the way, I mean, we all would wrestle with that. Out of deep wounds, out of destroyed ambitions, when our name and reputation, something hard won, associated with our identification with God, when it's all at stake, wouldn't it be easier to make that person pay, the one who ruined it all? And so in quiet, he's going to put her away. She'll go away. This will be done in secret, but but still at some point, something's going to come out. Unless Mary marries the one, the father of this child. And he frees her to do that. It's the very best possible thing he can do. But if he took her to court, not only would the law be on his side, not only would his reputation be preserved, but there might even be financial profit because there's usually a dowry that would, in this case, have been, so to speak, impounded. And if there were any gifts, then that would, of course, be forfeited to him. Here's the thing. What I'm trying to paint a picture of is is something that sometimes happens in our lives every day. There are these moments, you know, we come to that fork in the road. I tried to I just wanted such a good example from my own life to give you, but I, I couldn't think of one. And yet I know that they occur all the time. I mean, nothing story-worthy. Nothing that probably wouldn't be, I don't know, perhaps embarrassing to others. But there are times each and every day, for me there are, where there are these moments where I have to make a decision. And in a similar sort of way, maybe it's no one's fault, my reputation is at stake, or my ambitions are at stake, or my desires are what I would want. And, and I know that's true for you with friends or in decisions at work, um, maybe in the way you conduct your affairs to do them in an upright way. Um, it might be, uh, you know, to save face for someone else, to not expose them to shame. But sometimes that means maybe you're going to be misunderstood in the mix, that people won't won't know what you did for that person or what you didn't do. You know, when someone perhaps mistreats you or wrongs you 
or holds your reputation, your name up to scorn. Do you know what that's like? It could be in a, in a fight with your spouse or with a friend. I mean, there are a slew of things, aren't there? There are value judgments that we make. And people only see the actions themselves. But there's this in-between, see? There's this in-between that people don't see, that God knows, just as we see here with Joseph. Making decisions for God to do what is right or best for others or for all and not just for ourselves, when it can cost us our ambitions and desires, that's the decisions that are affected by God in our lives, by the birth of Jesus Christ. Even today, God alone knows those decisions affected. God alone knows the dreams applied. God had a dream and asked Joseph to dream his dream. God's dreams are always bigger and his dreams are always better. And it's so important to dream his dreams. In this dream, God, through a heavenly messenger, has this conversation with Joseph and gives him the what's up. And in a way, it's kind of amazing because all of Joseph's problems, in a way, proved to be God's doing. I mean, God had this bigger dream. Not just a dream that enveloped Joseph, but enveloped the whole world. And as Paul would tell us in Ephesians, this, this dream God had before the foundation, before the creation of the world. But now at this stage, at this moment, Joseph's been drawn into this dream in this incredible way. His life has been touched. This this relationship between him and Mary, which is so much a part of God's dream, has almost been broken by God's dream. And isn't that the way it is with us? It should be, because we need to realize that we aren't just doing our own little thing over. The world has been changed by the birth of Jesus Christ. We have been changed by it. Everything has been changed, and our lives are touched in a way always by the gospel, by the dream that God has dreamed, just as Joseph's life has been touched here. It's important to dream God's dream, to let God's dream become your dream. How else will God's dreams interpret our decisions and determine our discoveries and destiny, which is the life of faith? And you might be thinking, well, John, I, I've never had a dream like Joseph's dream. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Uh, but really, 
I mean, whether it comes in the form of a dream or it penetrates your heart and changes you forever. It's God's dream. It's God's truth. His dream is the gospel manifested. And sometimes in that in-between times, it's in those little times of decision that that dream interferes with my ambitions. You know what I'm saying? It's so important to dream his dreams. How do we dream his dreams? Ponder his word. Do you ever ponder God's word? It's his dream. Do you ever ponder those great and profound truths? They're peppered all over the pages of Scripture. They're in story form. They're spoken through people and characters in the lives of others. But it's God's dream. Ponder his word. Let his dream drench your soul. Do you ever read others who dream God's dream? I've been reading Bob Goff's Love Does. I want to encourage every one of you to get his book. It's just every day I read a chapter, and it inspires me. It, this guy dreams the dreams of God, and he lives them out. He applies them. He puts them into practice. Sometimes we just say, that's a crazy dream. And we love to have those dreams, but they never influence our waking life. Well, Bob Goff lets God's dreams affect his waking life. And you will experience life, life you've never understood it or felt it before, when God's dreams invade your decisions, invade your waking hours, and start to make an influence in the way you speak, the way you see others, the decisions you make, the course of your life, the ambitions of your life. God's dream changed the way Joseph looked at Mary. And God's dream changed the way Joseph looked at the child to be born. How does the gospel, God's dream, change the way you see others? The way you see yourself? The way you see your ambitions? George Bernard Shaw said, you see things, and you say, why? But I dream things that never were, and I say, why not? Has God put that dream in your heart? If he hasn't, then cast your eyes upon Jesus Christ and begin to see the dream that God has for you. God alone knows the discoveries awaited. His life plan, Joseph's life plan was altered. His relationships reordered. His destiny discovered. Is that not what should take place in each of our lives? My relationships 
reordered. My plans altered. My destiny discovered. That should be true of each and every one of us. We can have a foretaste of what we will discover because we know God is good. Through his word, we come to know his heart. Even if we don't have a foreknowledge, we walk in faith because we have this foretaste. We have this dream. And we can expect great things from him because he's the God of great things. Joseph, we're told in verse 25, knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. He awaited the birth of Jesus Christ. He awaited to set eyes on Jesus. It was a weight of faith. I know we say, he had a dream. If I had a dream like that, I would wait with anticipation and expectation too. I would live to discover what God revealed. But we don't. It takes great faith. We have his word. We have all that Joseph had. But unless we dream his dreams and apply them, we won't discover for ourselves just how faithful and real God is and how he wants to work in our lives. When he set eyes on Jesus, wow. Obedience is what opens us to discoveries, and obedience is a synonym for faith. Joseph, last words here, and he called his name Jesus. That is a declaration of faith. That's a dreamer of God's dreams. I mean, we expect that, don't we? He called his name Jesus. But that was a pronouncement of trust and obedience and faith. It said, I dream your dreams, God. Do you remember when Zechariah was in the holy place and the angel confronted him there? I mean, it just stunned him. And he was in such, I think he was so discombobbled that he, he, you know, he just had trouble believing what was happening. And so the angel silenced him until John should be born. And then later in that first chapter of Luke, the baby has been born and they're waiting for Zechariah to name the child. And do you know what the people around, the people of the village, the other members of the family expect Zechariah to name John? They expect him to name him Zechariah. Do you think it would be any different with Joseph that his first son wouldn't be called Joseph? In fact, the people in the case of Zechariah said, there's nobody else in your family named John. Where'd this come from? It came from God. I just want us to appreciate that when it says he called his name Jesus. Wow, that is such a beautiful and exhilarating thing. It's what we expect. 
because we know God's character from his actions. But Joseph didn't. And for him, it was a step of faith. And for him, it was an act of discovery. Because through his faith, he discovered who God was. He's the God of Jesus Christ, Messiah. And so are we because of what he did. You shall call his name Jesus. What an act of obedience, an act of sweet sacrifice. But in the end, it was nothing to boast of. In the end, it was his gift. And I think that's why it's very hard for me to remember as much as I wanted. I wanted to tell you some juicy story from my own personal experience of how that in-between time was such a struggle so that you could just see the mechanics. But you know, I don't remember them because even though at the time it's a sacrifice, it's a sweet sacrifice, it's secret, it's known only to God. God, you alone know what I'm about to do. I'm trusting you. And in my heart, it is a gift. It is the most precious gift I can give him. But in the end, it's his gift to me. I quickly forget the sacrifice. I, for, I forget the selfishness or the, the things that were all about me. Because when it's all about God, God makes it all about me anyway. And you too. Will you stand? God bless you this Christmas. May it be one of many sweet sacrifices known only to God. And I want you to know that after I say amen, when I pray for us and we pray together just as we conclude, I'm going to be up here along with pastors, staff, and elders, their wives. And if, if uh, you would like to pray with us, maybe something on your heart, maybe an in-between thing that you're working hard to decide. Maybe you want to intercede and pray on behalf of someone else whose difficulties or challenges burden your heart. Whatever the prayer request, maybe you would like to receive Jesus Christ and turn Advent into birth in your own experience, and you'd like to do that now, we invite you to come. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for men and women of faith, ordinary saints, but saints, because they dream your dream. We love you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Spirit who works tirelessly in our hearts and lives. Thank you for Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, God bless you.